let's let's begin reading, if you will, in the book of Ruth and um, and uh, chapter number one. We've been emphasizing this matter of those who have found grace, and I sure am glad that uh, I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you? And we realize that those who find grace soon find that it was grace that found them. Uh, When Zacchaeus climbed up into the tree so that he might see Jesus, he saw that Jesus was seeing him. And what a blessing it is as to how that works. When the prodigal son got to running home, he got to realizing that while he was running toward the father, the father was running toward him. And if you get to listening for heaven, the first thing you'll realize is heaven's been listening for you, wanting to hear from you. And so it is with grace. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we've not given a a personal illustration or definition of grace. Uh, We try to refrain from that. There are a couple that I like. The unmerited favor of God toward men. Uh, Grace as an acrostic. Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. But uh, I think probably the closest definition, if you want one, uh, that would encompass what grace really is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, has been our key verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. And uh, so we're looking at those who have found grace. Noah, of course, found saving grace. And when grace shows up in your life, the first aspect of it will be that it comes to save you. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, being justified freely through the grace that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we notice that in Joseph there is serving grace, that when grace comes into your heart and life, it's going to come with a desire to work, and nothing works like grace does. And Paul said, I worked more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But he said, it was the grace of God that was with me. And we realize, as Paul said, we are. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And there's nothing good about me. And I'll have to speak on your behalf. There's nothing good about you. The potential of evil lie within all of us to be the worst of the worst had it not been for God's love and His grace that showed up in our lives and delivered us from our sins and from ourselves. But I want us to look here in the book of Ruth and I want to go a final step. There are other examples in the Bible that they found grace the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul and, and uh, his special grace. Uh, the Bible tells us that Moses found grace and Abraham found grace and David found grace. 
But I want us to look in the book of Ruth, and, and, and I want us to see the grace that uh, Ruth found, and I want to preach on what I call seasons of grace. Seasons of grace. Now let's look in chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. and A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon and Jilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Malon, Chilion, died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord will deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. 
Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto the servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? J. Vernon McGee said that in the Hebrew that meant, Where'd she come from? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitess damsel that came back from Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Here's our text. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and thou, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord. God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. She sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn. She did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the hands full of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field unto even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. 
And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and the end of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went down at the end of the heap of corn, and... She came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as that thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she laid his feet until the morning, and rose up. she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, 
Ho, such a one, turn aside and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here, and they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the greatest place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come unto thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. Do thou worthily in Ephraim be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Phares, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women her neighbors gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse and the father of David. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares beget Hezron. Hezron beget Ram. Ram beget Amenadab. Amenadab beget Nashon. Nashon beget Salmon. Salmon beget Boaz. Boaz beget Obed. Obed beget Jesse. And Jesse begat David. It is out of this book that I want to look for just a few moments tonight at this thought of the seasons of grace. Peter called it the manifold grace of God or the many-colored grace of God. 
And what I want you to understand is that God's grace may be in your life, but it may not be apparent because it may not be the season that you appreciate. Just as God created this world, this earth, and in its environment with four seasons. And I'm sure that we could question each one of us, and we probably like one season above another season. Or when we've been in one season a little long, we can't wait to get out of it and move on into a fresh season. Now, I was born and raised, and all of my life has been in the elements and environments of which there were four seasons, but the major season was winter season. That's the one that seemed to impact you the most in the mountains of West Virginia and in in the mountains of North Carolina. We had the other seasons, but they they were not as, uh, they did not have the impact upon you as did the winter seasons. And so uh, we decided, of course, other things being uh, involved in it to move out we got tired of winter time we wanted to cut one of the seasons out and so we moved to Alabama where we heard it was always hot and we got down there and I speak particularly of this year the beginning of the year we went to Florida and we spent the first month in Florida And I want to say to you that it was hard-pressed to find a warm spot, even in Florida. As a matter of fact, one week we were down there, it was 28 degrees in Miami, that far down. I don't even want to think about how cold it was here. And uh, so we left Florida and we went to Houston, Texas. And in Houston, Texas, of course, it's supposed to be hot all the time also, and it was it was so cold there and, and rainy and, and in the uh, low 20s. And we left there and went back to Alabama. And, 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 you know, we struggled. We did not find really any warmth, no matter where we went. And we spent most of the time in the south, with the exception of a week. Uh, anywhere. It, it just seemed to be cold everywhere. I got so upset, I wanted to call Al Gore. I said, man... Where is all this global warming you promised? I can't find it anywhere that I'm at. And I just, we just tried to get away. And it was, you know, it was in, uh, up in really the earlier part of May before we got to anywhere it was warm. And uh, then we had to come up here. And it, but I'll just be honest with you, I'm tired. I don't, I'm not, you know, I used to love snow every year, all this, uh, but I'm tired of it. I, don't, I just don't want a lot of that anymore. Uh, I just, I like it uh, where it is uh, uh, a little bit warmer. But the truth of the matter is, God has created seasons as far as this world is concerned. And uh, this whole earth operates off of those four seasons. And, and they do have their impact upon each of our lives. But uh, when I make application, as I show you in the book of Ruth, the, the seasons of God's grace... If you're not careful, you will attribute where you're at in time to, to some, kind of a, uh, uh, some kind of a work of the devil or, or you, you will say that it is bad luck or, or that it is, uh, 
it is an ill omen or its circumstances have gone awry, but really it's nothing more than God's grace working in your life in a specific season. You're not always going to have summertime. You're not always going to have springtime. You're not always going to have fall time. Sometimes there's designed by God Almighty that there would be uh, some winter time as far as the seasons uh, physically are concerned and also as far as the seasons spiritually are concerned. The seasons of God's grace. I want to note them. Uh, with three thoughts from the book of Ruth. First of all, I'm going to concentrate for a moment on chapter number 1. Now, in Ruth chapter number 1, we find what I would call barren seasons of God's grace. Barren seasons of God's grace. Because when we come into this, this first chapter... Uh, it doesn't seem that we can see God working anywhere. And all we read is a, a famine that has prevailed, that has caused this little family to move. A family of which, uh, uh, of course, uh, there, there is no more uh, water and there is no more growth and uh, there is a dearth and there is a, a thirst now, there is a famine that has taken place that has driven them out of home down in to Moab. And, and the story is about this, this famine. It's a barren, barren time. And then they get down into Moab and the story just gets worse. Because the man who is the main uh, supplier, the man who is the breadwinner as far as the family is concerned this fellow by the name of Elimelech the patriarch of the family uh, he dies and he leaves his wife Naomi there with the two boys and now they have married into this Moabitish uh, family and uh, uh, nation with these two girls and in that period of 10 years, somewhere in there, the two boys die. And now you've got the three women in the family. And there is no breadwinner, as was of necessity in those days. And there is no one to provide, no one to supply. And so Ruth realizes, or Naomi realizes, that the only hope is she's going to have to go back home. Because she hears that the famine has lifted. A little bit of good news there. And maybe she can creep back in uh, up there and things may be a little better. And uh, so she heads back with uh, one of her daughters-in-law as they go back to Bethlehem, Judah, with this sad story of, the, of this famine, of this, of this funeral, and even of these feelings because when she gets back home, uh, they said, Is this not Naomi, which means pleasant? And she said, Don't call me Naomi, but you call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she said, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She said, I went out full, but I have come home empty. 
Now, it seems as though that there is an absence of grace here. It seems as though that it's winter time, if we've ever seen winter time. It is a barren season. But can I suggest to you that grace many times has to work a barrenness in our lives. The reason being is because before you can have springtime, before you can have the budding of the leaves and the sprouting of the new flowers and the raising of the new crops, there has to precede a winter time that will kill off all the old to make room for all of the new. God has done that as far as this world is concerned in a physical sense. But so it is in the spiritual sense. There are so many props that we learn to lean on. So many Elimelechs that we trust in. So much substance of this world that we hope will carry us through. Whether it would be our health or our finances or our jobs or our husbands or our wives or our homes and and things of that nature. So in the processes of time, God will periodically bring winter time into our lives. And He will bring that winter time into our lives because there will be certain things that He will want to take from us. There will be certain things that He will want to kill, if you please. There will have to take, uh, there will have to be a death process because God wants to remove some things so He can make room for the new grace that He has allotted for our lives. If you can understand this, though it would seem so sad, as long as Elimelech is alive, there will be no Boaz on the scene. As long as there's a Malon and Chilion, there will not be a return to Bethlehem Judah. And as long as things are all right in Moab, the heart will never have room for Bethlehem Judah. And there will never be an Obed, and there will never be a Jesse, and there will never be a David. There will never be the unfolding experiences of the grace of God in new ways until the old ways have died off. And haven't you experienced it in your life, and haven't I experienced it in my life, that sometimes those painful works of God in a famine situation that seems to, uh, seems to bring forth an aching within our heart is simply making room for the new expressions and experiences of God's freshness as far as His grace is concerned. But isn't it true? that there has to be winter time to truly kill off the bugs and, 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 and to truly do away with the old and let the leaves fall from the trees and, and, and to let everything have a time of rest so that it can make room for the new budding and for the new fruit and, and all the other things that God has prepared for the springtime. But, It's God's working in the wintertime just as much as it is in the springtime. 
And though it seems as though that everything's in a famine situation, in a funeral situation, in a, a, a very, uh, a very bitter situation, a barren situation, can I say to you, chapter one is all about God making room for grace in the hearts of these people in chapter number two. God making room for grace. Though it hurts and though we have no explanation for it and cannot explain why, God is making grace. Let me say it this way. Grace is killing off some things so that some other things can live in our lives. Making room for grace. Now, let's go to chapter number 2. We notice these barren seasons. There'll be those barren seasons in churches. There'll be those barren seasons in our individual lives. When it seems as though that God is nowhere around and, and we sort of get a taste or touch of bitterness about us. But uh, I want to say to you, child of God, in those times you need to realize that God's grace is as much as we're at work as any time in your life. Because he wants you to, to experience uh, some new grace. So we have these barren seasons of grace. But then when we come into chapter number 2, and verse number 2, Ruth, this daughter-in-law, and, and Naomi are at, back at Bethlehem, Judah. And uh, they've still got the old farmland that was in Elimelech's name, but it ain't been tended and worked with. And it looks like they're going to have to sell everything if they're going to survive. But that's going to take time. So immediately somebody's going to have to go to work. And it's not like a lady could come out of Moab because Israel despised Moab anyway because of the curse of God over the things that had happened in the past. It's just not like a woman's going to be able to come in and get a job anywhere. If she gets anything, it's going to sort of like be on a welfare level, and she's going to have to come, and she's going to have to beg, and that is her intention. She, everything has been nipped, and everything has been killed, and everything that has been made barren, and the only thing left is the grace of God. And so she comes out, and in verse number 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to glean in the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I can find grace. She said, We're at the point of where the only hope is grace. And we're going to have to have some grace. And isn't it wonderful when God Almighty can take an old sinner through the barrenness of sin in this old world and bring them to the place of where they'll cry out and say, Lord Jesus, we've got to have your grace. If we're going to make it, we need saving grace. But it even goes beyond that. It has to come to that place in your life and my life, my, my life from time to time. If we're not careful, we'll begin to lean and trust on the things of this old world and it's not the answer. And God will wean us of those and we will find ourselves again crying out and saying, Lord, we sure need some grace. And I love to preach to folks who need grace. How precious it is. I love to preach when I realize that I need grace. 
And so we've moved out of the barren seasons of grace and now we've entered into the begging seasons of grace. It's where grace is, is preparing your heart to where you will want grace. You see, God doesn't want to waste His grace. And He doesn't want His grace to be in vain in your life. And so what He has to do is He has to work barren times and winter times to bring you to the place of where you will humble yourselves and we will begin to turn our face toward God as the children of Israel did in Egypt and cry out and the Lord heard the cries of, the, of His children there and delivered them through the hand of Moses. And God wants to do something for you. He wants to do something for me. But it's not through us taking things lightly but it's through God bringing us to that place of desperation to where we will find ourselves before our face, before God, for whatever the issue, whether it is a child or or whether it's something in our lives or whether it is our marriage or whether it is our finances or whether it is our job or whether it is our spiritual need that we'll just lay before the Lord and say, please, God, would you give us grace? This is where Ruth finds herself. She is brought to the place to where she desires grace and she wants grace. But hey, children, the good news is wherever there is a heart that is hungry, God will have a harvest waiting. And did you notice that when she came out of of, uh, Moab with her mama-in-law and she went into Bethlehem, Judah, that it just happened to be harvest time? (laughs) No, it didn't just happen to be harvest time. God had a great big old field of grace with that golden grain flashing in the sun the wind blowing across it, catching her attention because grace had been waiting on her all the time. God has bushels of grace for you. And after He has weaned you and and after He has broken you and after He has brought you through the barren times, your eyes will focus in on the blessings of His grace as your heart begs for an answer as far as the need is concerned. And you want what He has to offer. The hungry heart will find a harvest. God creating an appetite for what He has for you in the days that are ahead. You're going to want what He offers. Hunger and harvest. Hunger and harvest. It's amazing how the Lord can work on both sides at the same time, isn't it? working in your heart over here in trials and tribulations. And while he's working over there, he's preparing something over here. And when he gets done over here, he's done over here. And when this is ready, this is ready, and they come together. I like it that way, don't you? I'll tell you, over the years as a preacher, I've been invited in many homes to eat. 
And I've noticed that, that it pleases the lady of the house who has labored over all of that. When the children come and the grandchildren come or the preacher comes and, and man, the more the merrier when they begin to reach and they say, pass me some more of the beans and I'll take another cat head biscuit and, and give me some more of that gravy and I like to have But don't you like it that way? If you're going to prepare it, you want somebody that wants it. But I'll tell you something, if they've just come from Hardee's and McDonald's and didn't tell you about it, and you've worked all day, that's very offensive. But God has ways of remedying that by locking you up into some hunger, desperate uh, situations to where the heart begins to ache and, and to long for what God can do in the situation. And then when you hear God say, It's ready! I've prepared the fields for you! It's supper time! The heart is so lifted up because it is a hungry heart. The problem with America is we're not hungry anymore because we've got so much on the human level that seems to suffice us and sustain us. God Almighty just may be now. I'm not a prophet of doom, but he just may be before this thing's over with take us into some famine times so that we once again get hungry for his hand and for his harvest and for what he can do. (laughs) Wanting God to do what you've learned you cannot do. When we start getting hungry for God, we'll be looking for that big hand that can provide the need that we have. There is a, a heart that is, that is hungry that wants something from God. But did you notice in verse number 17, and I just want to mention this, and there is the famine uh, times, the barren seasons of God's grace, and there is the begging seasons to where we, we want what God has for us. But here's what I want to say to you. And I think you'll find it to be so throughout the Word of God. God's grace never comes easy. God's grace will never be appreciated if you're spoiled in getting it. You'll never help a child by spoiling it and letting it have everything that it wants. And God has grace for you, but it'll come through some difficult situations. Because he wants you to want it, but not only does he want you to want it, but he wants you to be willing to partake of it. And to partake of it means not only wanting it, but being able to work with it. I said this uh, day or so ago that since I've been preaching on grace, I've preached on more works than I ever have in my life. Why? Because I believe that grace works. And if you ever get grace in your life, the first thing it's going to want to do is to do something for the Lord. That grace wants to work. As the Apostle Paul spoke of that, that grace that worked in him and that grace that works in you. But notice here in verse number 17, she enters into the field of grace and she gets grace in the form of seed. And the Bible said in verse 17, So she gleaned in the field unto even and beat out that she had gleaned. I heard about the poor boy 
farmer had six or seven sons, and one of them was so lazy he wouldn't eat. And he got down to where he's Celine, he was fixing to die. And the farmer told the wife, said, well, I'm going to just load old John up in the back of the wagon. He'll probably be dead by the time I get to the graveyard, and, and we'll just bury him. So lazy he won't eat. So she, he, they loaded him in the back of the wagon. He's real weak, and they pulled him on up toward the graveyard. And as they did, they passed a farmer coming with another wagon, a horse. They stopped, and they talked a while, chatted a while. He said, where are you going? He said, I got old John back here, my son. said, he's so lazy he won't eat, and he's near to his last breath. I'm just going to take him up here, and he'll be dead just in a little bit, and we'll bury him. He said, well, you don't have to do that. He said, I've got a whole wagon full of corn here. He said, I'll let him have that. Old John raised up with the last ounce of strength he had and said, Is it shut? The farmer said, No. He said, Drive on. Just drive on. Well, I found folks that lazy in the Christian realm. Uh, They want grace, but they don't want to have to work with it. They don't want it to involve any of their time, any of their energy, any of their money, if any of their inconvenience, as long as they can just, if they can get a little religious package that, that will treat them every now and then, make them feel good, that's exactly what they want. But I'm here to tell you that many times God will bring grace into your life wrapped in some things that really you wouldn't care for. But you didn't know that inside of that wrapping, God had some goodies for you. If you just pray over it and work with it and have patience with it and look to God with it, you get something out of that situation. Are you seeing what I'm saying? I don't want to preach long on this. That seed, when she went into that field and she picked that barley, it had a husk on it. Now, there was no vitamin in that husk. There was no nutrition in that husk. The only purpose of that husk was to protect the good that was on the inside. But if she was going to get to what was on the inside, and there was plenty of grace in there that would sustain her, and that's what she came for was grace. She came for what was on the inside. But if she ain't willing to work on what's on the outside, she's never going to get to what's on the inside. So what she does is she gets her a big bunch of that stuff and she takes it over there and it's at the winnowing floor and what they would do is they'd either walk on that seed or beat that seed and they were breaking the hull and husk away from it and then they'd take it and throw it up in the air. It's called winnowing and the wind would blow the husk away that was of no value and then the good stuff would fall back down and you could reach and grab that and you could take it and bake it and cook it and whatever, mix it and get something good to eat out of it. This is more than just a little fly by night where you get in and get a little thrill every Sunday. God has something for you. But sometimes it may be wrapped up in a person you may not like. Maybe wrapped up in a circumstance you don't want anything to do with. But God is saying to you, if you'll just pray your way through this, if you'll just work with this, if you'll just give it time, and, and if you'll just look into my word and meditate, i got something good in there for you. If you'll go in there and get it. 
we got these so-called lazy saints that they just don't really want to put any time into it. You say, how do you know, preacher? Well, I done told you last night, and it ain't just here, it's across the country. You can have revival meeting, and I'll tell you, the church will never be over halfway full, and then people running around talking about how bad life is, and how hard the times are, and how barren their lives are, and God Almighty's got some good fields of grace for them, but they ain't willing to work with nothing. They won't even go out there where it's at, let alone beat it out. You know what they want? They want that ready-made stuff. They don't want to work on nothing, beat nothing out. But we want our religion the quick way. Let's come in, give us a little feel better, and everything's good, and Rosie, we just go to the house and turn on the TV and watch the ball game and the race and just went to church this morning. God ain't going to let you get by with that. He's going to send some people in your life that just are obnoxious. He's going to send some circumstances in your life that are barren and hard. And you're going to find yourself down there seeking out grace. And when God shows you and gives you a little grace, you're going to begin to work with that and say, Oh God, would you let this come to fruition? Lord, I'm needing something. And, and you start working on what God brings in grace. Wrapped up in some things. In your, but you know what? You can always tell them saints that ain't willing to work on what God gives them. Because huh? even good stuff that's inside of there, it'll, it'll snarl up your face. You ever go to the ball game? The reason I go to the ball game is get a hot dog and, and peanuts. I like them there. But every now and then I get to eat them peanuts so quick, I'll get some of that hull in my mouth. You ever do that? Watch a ball game, you grab one, you think you got a peanut, you go, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you go to spit. It ain't proper, but you can't swallow that. You just go out there and get you a bunch of that old grain. It is grace in there, but you just get it with a hull and everything and throw it back there. it just make you look bitter. Yeah, I'll go to Grace Baptist Church where you go. That's all right. I don't get what it is all right down there. We can take a lot of that stuff home. I mean, she'd beat it out before she took it home because she knew that mama-in-law can't eat that stuff. And I found a lot of times that people, even on the job, I mean, listen, ain't nobody perfect. Everybody's got some husk about them. And I know I do, and I know my preaching does. And, and I know that every song ain't going to suit you, and everything ain't going to please you. There'll be some husk as we come together because we're people. We're none perfect. But why in the world do you want to take the bad stuff and the negative stuff and the old husk that won't have nobody and go out there and talk more about that than you do anything else? I mean, go to, you know, the preacher will preach and do the best he can. Maybe he struggles a little bit that morning. Maybe the songs just didn't get off just right. We just have those times like that. And they go home and set their children down around and start feeding them husks. What did you think about the sermon? I thought it went a little long, didn't you? That song just sort of wasn't appropriate to me. But honey, I'm going to tell you the reason why you didn't get anything out of it. You didn't put nothing into it. When things just ain't like you think you ought to be, that's the time to go to work. Go to praying. Go to seeking the face of God. Go to holding some hands up before the Lord instead of getting critical and chewing all that stuff. Makes you look mean. That'll be willing to work on it. Now, I've talked about the barren seasons of grace and 
begging seasons of grace. Let me, let me close with this thought. It's where God's bringing you all the time. He may bring you through some barren times. He bring, he'll bring you to where you'll find yourself having to operate with what he's doing in your life. It's not like he's doing it all, but his grace will come in, but it, you'll have to operate with it. But I want you to notice where God's bringing you, he's trying to bring you to the bountiful seasons of grace. And periodically in your life, God will just dump a load on you. And you'll realize that, hey, God's just done something special for me. You ever been there? You ever, has there ever been that time that you just said, oh, wait a minute, Lord, what's that all about? And you realize that God had just given you an extra measure. Sort of like Ruth. She goes in, she just wants, she's going in for grace and what she's thinking is going to be is one seed at a time because she's got to get in the corners and stay behind the reapers. And then she'll, she'll work on that and maybe get enough for a biscuit or two for her and her mom, just enough to get them through the day. It's what she's hoping for in grace. But I'll give you this statement. Grace is never satisfied with you getting a little bit. As a matter of fact, the grace of God will never be satisfied until we as God's children experience the fullness of what He has to offer for our lives. The abundant, if you would call it that, the abundant grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Romans chapter number 8, He that gave up His own Son on our behalf, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? The Scripture tells us that as God's children, that we are joint heirs with Jesus in that inheritance. And that does not mean He has half and we have half, but that means that we both have it all. And if you could get to heaven and look at the title for everything of this whole world, my name would be on that title as an heir of all that God has. And if you're His child, you are an heir of it. And as we go through life, He wants us to experience more and more and more, not less, but more of His wondrous grace in our lives. I'm talking about the bountiful seasons of God's grace, never satisfied until we get it all. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they that receive abundant grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about this, this matter of the fullness of the grace that is found in Christ. We have yet even began to even skim the surface of the riches, the Bible said, of the grace that is found in Christ. It is so deep 
It is so full. It is so expanse. And it is so rich. Now, I want to illustrate it in closing with the life of this girl by the name of Ruth. I want you to see grace in her life. Ruth comes out of a nation that was birthed in incest as Lot with his daughter. It continued through the generations. As far as we know in Scripture, and I'm not saying there won't be any others in heaven, but as far as we know in Scripture, as far as the Old Testament, there are only two people that were connected with the, with the people of God. That was Ruth and, and, and one of David's mighty men. We don't know the story about that, but he is listed as a Moabite. But yet through God's grace, she's brought out of, uh, of Moab and she's brought up into, into Bethlehem, Judah. She's come to trust under the wings of the Almighty, the Scripture said. She said, your God is going to be my God. And she put herself in the trust and began to look for the grace that only God could bring into her life. Now, here's what I want you to see. She goes into this field looking for grace in, in little places. And that's what she thinks that she's going to get. And as she's out there picking in that field, a man by the name of Boaz comes up. He looks out over that field and he sees that darling of a girl and something hits him right in the heart. Love at first sight. He wants to know who she is, he's told. And immediately he makes himself down to this foreigner, this Moabite, this, this woman who is a stranger, who has come in to work behind the reapers and in the corners and to beg. She's a beggar. He walks straight up to her and he said, Darling, I've been watching you and uh, said, what I want to tell you is, is uh, I'd like for you to pick in my field every day. And if you would, you don't have to go into any other field. And he said, while I'm here, I notice that you've been carrying some water along with you, having to set it down again. You can't do that and get anything. He said, we got water up here and my men draw that water and Anytime you want it, you can have it. See, he's, he's moving her beyond what her expectations were, as Christ does so many times. Moving her into the more depth experiences of grace. And so as he says to her, you can come and you can drink of the water. But he said, now, honey, at lunchtime, I know you're going to be hungry after you're working out here like you are. So what I want you to do is I want you to come up there with us. And we got plenty of lunch. And what I want you to do is I want you to get some bread and you can dip it in the morsel with me and you can eat bread with me. And he just keeps adding to, I mean, it ain't she ain't been in that field but one day. And she's looking for just a handful. And now already he's told her she could eat lunch with him. She could come back every day. And she could drink water. 
man, this thing seems to be increasing. She didn't imagine what was going to come out of that. And so now she's in this field. And Boaz goes back up to the workers and he says, Now, boys, I'm going to tell you something. You see that pretty girl down there? I know the law says she's supposed to stay behind you, but if she gets out in front of you, don't you say nary a word to her. And I want you to reach in your bucket every now and then, and if you see her behind you, I want you to drop a handful on purpose. See how that thing's growing? And every time she, she's going through there picking, and she looks down and she said, Wow, where'd that come from? She gets a big handful. See, grace is just increasing on her. It's just getting bigger and bigger. And every time she picks up a handful of grace, Boaz is psychologically talking to her. He's saying, honey, I'd like to hold your hand. <laughs> that's what that's all about. I want to hold your hand. I read you the text. He ain't interested in her having little, little one or two seeds at a time. He's even interested in her more, having more than a handful. Matter of fact, he invites her up to sop. When you've got this Moabitish girl that is a stranger that comes up there, and he has the audacity to say to her, take that old Moabitish hand and dip it down and sop with me. Some of the people sitting around there probably said, wonder where them hands have been, them's Moabitish hands. He don't care. Why? He loves that gal, huh? And I ain't never kissed my wife worrying about germs. But what Boaz's intention is, if he gets his way, she's going to get more than just a few seeds or even a handful. He's a mighty man of wealth. And if he gets his way, he's going to marry her and she's going to be a mighty woman of wealth. He's gonna, he has full intention of turning the whole field over to her. I'm talking about the grace of God in its, a, in its abundance and how that, that His grace not only comes to us in, in begging times and, and comes to us in, in those barren times, but it comes to us in those bountiful times. Bountiful times. I want to borrow your imagination for a moment as I close. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but did you know that Ruth would have only had to have lived to the fourth generation. That only had to have been four generations, and she's a young girl, for her to have been alive when David was born. See, she's a young woman. There is Ruth. She has a son, Obed. There's Jesse. Would have only been four generations for her to have been able to seen David born. And, I, and that was probably very feasible in that day. So what I'm going to imagine with you that, that Ruth is an old lady now sitting on the front porch looking over her field that she now owns. And I can see maybe a young man running up toward her, hollering out her name, saying, Mama Ruth, Mama Ruth. And I can hear her, as she, I can watch her as she looks out into the field trying to see who it was. And, and she said, yes, what is it? And the little boy runs up and says, I just wanted to tell you, I didn't know if you knew it, but Samuel the prophet came down this morning from Shiloh 
poured oil on your great-grandson. And it looks like he's going to be the next king in Israel. Now, can you imagine the effect it would have had on that old Moabitess girl that came into Israel with nothing? I can see her as the old-time saint getting her handkerchief out and getting up on the front porch and walking back and forth saying, Woo! Woo! They said, Grandma Ruth, what is it all? Oh, she said, Honey, I don't have time to tell you. But what I do want to tell you is years ago, I came into this old country as a Moabite. And God Almighty showed grace to me. And eventually married Boaz and he turned the field over to me. And I didn't have nothing. I had that whole field. And now it looks like my great-grandson is going to be the next king in Israel. Ain't that grace? I come looking for a seed. And now i got a son that's going to sit on the throne of the whole nation. Well, it looks like grace has taken over. I can hear somebody say, who is that old lady that walks around the palace like she owns it? Somebody said, don't say nothing to her. That's a king's great-grandma. <laughs> so, but she don't look like one of us. No, she ain't. She come from Moab. But grace took over in her life. Amen. <laughs> and you know what? That's not the best of it. Did you know that one of these days when we get to heaven that I believe that dear sister is going to be there? Don't you think Ruth is going to be in heaven? Amen. And when we get to heaven and we and, and I'll tell you, we're walking down those streets, that dear little sister is going to come up and grab your hand and she's going to say, you know me. I'm Ruth the Moabite that came out of Moab and, and married Boaz and got the whole field. And then my great-grandson became the king in Israel, David. So man, yeah, I remember that. I love that story. But she said, that ain't all. Sitting there on that throne is my great, 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 great grandson, the Lord Jesus. Wow. You reckon she's going to feel at home in heaven? <laughs> she's kin to the king. Ruth married Boaz and had Obed. Obed had Jesse. Jesse had David, and David is the great, 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 great grandfather of who? The Lord Jesus. Boy, she's been brought into the family in an abundant way. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. Not only has she, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are able to experience the fullness of the abundance of God's grace. Seasons of grace. If you'll just hang on, he'll begin to multiply his grace in your life in a special way.